there was a brief period of time growing up I really, really loved magic. I loved learning the tricks, or if I was really lucky, there'd be a day I'd get to go into the magic ch shop and get to see all the cool illusions, the tricks, the different types of decks, and all the different um, gizmos that would could do different things and the sleight of hands to, to trick people and to do an illusion. And I, you know what I also loved? I loved those shows where they'd unveil what was behind the magic. Like you'd have this masked magician and they would expose how David Copperfield could possibly make the Statue of Liberty disappear. Or they'd show you the secret behind how they saw a human in half. Now the thing that is fascinating about magic, particularly the tricks, is that it's all about the illusion. The way things appear to be is not really the way things are. It appears somebody is sawn in half, but that's not actually what happens. Or it appears that someone is able to read your mind, but in reality, they're just using math and reasoning and logic to determine the, the guess that you are most probable to make. And illusions aren't just true in magic. It's also true when it comes to the way you see yourself. For these next two weeks, we are going to talk about illusions, particularly in this short series called Confronting the Illusions. And I want to define an illusion for you this way. Illusions are the lies we believe about who we are that aren't reality. Now let's be a little bit honest about illusions and why they are so tricky when it comes to the way you and I see ourselves. Illusions appear to be real. Based on our observation, based on the things we see, Things appear one way and they, in reality, are a different. Things that often seem impossible, God says they're not impossible. And so by appearances, the illusion would be that something's impossible. Something like death appears to get the last word, while what is really real, what is ultimately true, is that resurrection wins. And illusions also, they, they can seemingly be backed up by the facts. You can point to the fact that there are feet on one end of a box and a head on another and those boxes are separated, that that is the fact. You can observe that, you can point to that. And so the challenge for us when it comes to illusion is you can point to the facts, you can point to your experiences, you can point to the tragedy you're experiencing, you can point to the fact that they left, that they cheated, they lied, you can point to the job loss, you can point to your fears, your anxiety, your sins, your struggles. And then with all of those things, we say these things that I'm observing, seeing, experiencing, they tell me something about myself. And then those supposed facts, those illusions lead to a belief, a belief that you're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You're not loved. You're not wanted. You're not worth loving or you're too foolish. You're not forgivable. Some of you may be able to point to piles of evidence for all those things that you believe about yourself. You might be able to say, well, let me, let me prove to you why this is who I really am. But that's the problem. That's what makes it an illusion. It's deceptive. A sleight of hand makes you believe something that when you really dig into it, you believe something that isn't actually true. That's what makes it an illusion. Illusions are most deceiving when you don't understand them. But see, when you know the trick, when you understand the process, you're actually not as likely to fall for it. Or if at least you know there is a trick, if you at least know there's an illusionist, you might be a little bit more willing to pay attention differently to notice, all right, what are they doing? Right? You realize that when their hands are behind their back, they're doing something with the cards, even if you don't know what they're actually doing. 
and maybe it's fascinating, maybe you still have your doubts or your questions, but when you begin to see patterns and predictability, the tricks get a little bit easier to spot. The enemy is an illusionist. The enemy is, is a liar. He is an expert at tricking you and deceiving you and convincing you to believe something that isn't real. The enemy is an illusionist and he wants us to believe something about ourselves and the world around us that isn't really real. He wants to convince us that we're something other than who God says we are and he will show us all kinds of evidence. He will throw at us all kinds of tricks to convince us of a lie. Brennan Manning says it this way, which is where we got the title of this series. He says, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is illusion. Over the past year, I've been wrestling with my identity. It's been a struggle for me to ask the question, who am I? Now, here's the thing about this struggle, this identity crisis of, of sorts. I've known the theological answer. Like, I, there's never been a day where I didn't feel like I knew what the Bible says about my identity. I get that. I understand theologically that I'm a child of God, that I'm loved by God, that I'm forgiven by God. But I didn't know the answer like I, as a dad, could answer about my own kids. Like if you ask me about my kids, I can tell you all about them. I can tell you what makes each of them uniquely them. I can tell you how Eli is wired and how Emmy is wired and how Alice is wired and how all of them, although they come from the same similar genetic makeup and although they're raised in very similar ways, I can tell you what makes each of them unique. And so yeah, they're all children of RJ and Jessica, but they're also very, very different. Their personalities, their interests, their gifting. And so when it comes to myself, like I could theologically tell you I'm a child of God. I could confidently say that. But what makes me, me? What are the things that if God's my parent that he'd be proud of? What are the things that he'd be bragging about when people ask, oh, tell me about your children? Those are the things I couldn't answer. Those were the struggles. I knew up here the answers theologically, but who I am personally, I couldn't tell you that. So I want to challenge you to do the, the same thing. I want you to answer the question, who are you? And if God's your parent and can rant and rave about what makes you you, what are the things that make you you? What is the name that God calls you? What is the identity that he gives you? Now, I want to warn you, right? This is a hard question. You might spend weeks, months. For me, it's been over the past year, and I still don't feel like it's completely settled. I want to challenge you to wrestle with this question. Ask this question. Listen to who Jesus says you are. See, for me, it's been so much easier to see illusions. It's been easier to intellectually know that there are some statements that the Bible says about me, but instead I jump to, what do I see around me? What are the appearances? What are the circumstances? What are the things that I hear about myself? It's easier to point to all of those other illusions. It's easier to point to the illusions that are created by the pain in my life. It's easier to see the illusion that's created because of my own failures and my own sins and struggles. It's easier to see the illusion because of the temptations and the lies of the enemy. It's far easier to believe what I could see than to believe what Jesus could see. And so I want to jump into a text, and what we'll see is from the very beginning, the pattern of the enemy, the deceptionist, the illusionist, 
is deception. It's lying. And so in Genesis chapter 3, we read in the very beginning of humanity the way that the enemy works. And I want to dig into this text specifically so you can see his tactics. Because what is true about illusions is when you begin to understand what happens behind the illusion, you'll be able to catch it better when it happens to you. It says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the, the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now let's just unpack this illusion a little bit right here, because there is so much going on. It starts, did God really say? Every illusion is in competition with the truth. That's what, and, and put aside maybe like the, the whole, maybe the whole talking snake thing is a little bit out there for you. And there's a lot of weird and crazy stuff in the Bible. That's fine. But what I really want to get back to is the tactic of the enemy. Because what the enemy does is he makes an illusion in competition with the truth. Did God actually say what you thought he said? And so Eve responds, and, the, and then the enemy is trying to create a different version of the story, trying to use a sleight of hand to present some different facts, and says, no, you won't certainly die. The enemy wants you to question the truth. Jesus wants you to question the illusions. And so what if you flipped around your normal pattern? What if instead of doubting what Jesus said, what if instead of doubting what the Bible says about you, instead of what if instead of doubting the things that might be good about you, what if instead you doubted the doubts? What if instead you began to doubt the lies and the illusions, the things that appeared to be, instead of doubting that God couldn't possibly be with me right now, instead of believing that I couldn't possibly be good enough, what if you began to doubt those things? Oh, in this whole scenario, it plays out after God created everything. God created the heavens, the earth, the water, the plants, the animals. And he says about everything he created, he says, this is good. And then when he forms man out of the dust of the ground, he creates man and he, and he looks and he says, all right, I can do a little bit better. And then he creates Eve. And so he looks together at Adam and Eve, at man and woman, humanity, and says this is very good. See, the enemy attacks what God says is very good by creating an illusion that would convince other people to believe it's not good. And if you want to catch this illusion being thrown your way in your life, if you've ever asked the question, am I good enough? You're experiencing the illusion. Not enough and too much aren't even categories that God operates in. So we can know that it's a lie because God isn't even ever going to say, well, you know, that's good enough. Like, God doesn't make Adam and Eve and look back and like, eh, that'll do. Like, that's not the way that God operates. Good enough isn't good enough for God. He creates Adam and Eve. He creates humanity. He creates you. And he doesn't say, good enough. He says, no, that's very good. Don't settle for the category of good enough or not good enough. Jesus raises the bar. He raises the bar and blows those categories out of the water. Don't settle for not failing when Jesus calls you a world changer. Don't settle for good enough when God calls you very good. Don't settle for just a mom, just a dad. When God has called you a protector, a life 
bringer. When you define yourself as radically beloved by God, good enough doesn't even come close. Instead, you have powerful life-filled truth, like outrageously loved. You're a light bringer, hope dealer, truth teller, justice bringer. Jesus has so much truth that he wants you to believe that the enemy knows the only way to convince you that this, that the illusion is more true is to fight against it with everything he's got. In fact, the enemy knows that the best way to stop the kingdom of God from moving is to convince you of an illusion that you aren't who God says you are. Now let me jump to another text in Matthew because the enemy takes a similar tactic with Jesus. So he does this at the beginning of humanity and then he does this again with Jesus. And as you and I will see in our own life, this is what he does with us. In verse 1 of chapter 4, it says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, naturally, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is a fascinating account, and there's a ton going on in here, but I want to highlight a couple important aspects of this reality. Now, right before this all happens, Jesus gets baptized. And in Jesus' baptism, it's an identity-confirming moment. That is what happens. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus gets baptized by John, and the Father audibly speaks down, this is my beloved Son. That's Jesus' identity. It's who he is. That can't be taken away. It's who the Father says he is. It's who he actually is. And so immediately then, upon hearing who he is from his father, the Spirit leads him into the desert. And it's right after that then that the Spirit leads Jesus into the desert, the the desert or the wilderness, which could also be translated the quiet place. Jesus now spends 40 days fasting and praying and listening. It's as though Jesus receives an identity and then he goes to fight to reinforce the truth of who his father says he is. Fasting and praying and listening. Now, now you might write it off and be like, all right, well, well, what kind of battle is that for Jesus? Like for, oh, for Jesus to pray and talk to the father and hear who he is, like no big deal. He's Jesus, he's God. But even the simple statement that, that points out that Jesus is hungry should also point to the reality that when Jesus is in the desert and he's, when he's praying and listening to the father, There are probably a lot of similarities to how you and I would spend time with our Father. And so then it's at the end of those 40 days of Jesus hearing and praying and listening, the enemy comes and says, if you are the Son of God, he attacks the identity of Jesus. If you really are who you say you are, if you really are who your Father says you are, if you really are what you think, prove it. The illusion here is the enemy saying that you're not really the son. You're not good enough to be that person. Just prove it. And this happens three times. And Jesus repeatedly confronts the illusion with what is really true. And that's the only way you and I can battle against the illusions. We fight lies with the truth. As a parent, I've tried to make this a mantra in our own home. In our house, we love to say that when we confront the lies, lies like I'm dumb, I'm not good enough, no one likes me, I'm alone. We confront these illusions because for all of us, they will spiral out of control. And we confront them and say, all right, we fight lies with truth. So who does Jesus say you are? 
as a parent, you can do that for your kids. Fight those lies and remind your kids who Jesus says you are. You can do this for your spouse. You can do this for your friends. Remind them who does Jesus say they are. Because the enemy will try to convince you of the illusion. Simply by putting an if in front of something that's true, it will make you question the truth and instead look to all of the evidence of the illusion. If you were really strong, if you were really good enough, if you really believed, if you were really a good mom, if you were really a good dad, a good husband, if you really cared, if God was really good, if God was really with you, he'll make you question who you are. Now, what's interesting about identity is identity, though, is not just happening in terms of our religious faith conversations. You may have, maybe you have never even noticed this, but even the enemy will even weave identity conversations into our cultural conversations in order to convince you to believe the things that make you you aren't, aren't what is ultimately what God says. And politics is one of the best places we can actually find this. In politics, you'll find political leaders that love to pander to their audience by playing into identity. This is called identity politics. And the problem with identity politics is that it panders to our illusions of our identities and not our God-given identities. It points to things that, are, that are, by appearances do matter. And in fact, they are things about us that matter, but they don't point to what's ultimate. They don't point to our God-given identities. They don't point to who Jesus says we are. Think about it. Politicians all believe, this is not a right, a right or a left thing. Politicians all do this. They all believe that there are certain identity markings that determine who a person should vote for. And I, and I know you've experienced it. You'll hear it with something like, well, I don't know how a Christian could vote for fill in the blank. And maybe that's hard to hear in a, in, in a, in a room full of Christians. But for, for so many of us, our religion the religion of Christianity. This is why so many surveys will point out, what do white evangelicals believe? Why? Because it's an identity thing. Politicians love to play into the identity. And so for many of us, our religion ties so strongly to our identity. But who does Jesus say you are? Or you might hear it like, I don't know how somebody who is blank, and you could enter gender, sexuality, race, religion. I don't know how they could vote for them. This is, it's a strategy, by the way. It's manipulative. It plays into illusions about what we believe are most important. And it reinforces the lies of the enemy. And so because so many of, the, so many of us hold these things dearly, all of which do matter, it will influence the way we see ourselves in the world. In fact, this is probably why you might even experience this. People are more likely to change their religion than their political party. Why? Because it has been so wrapped up into identity politics. And so we've believed this crafty illusion, which have taken things that are important, and it's used a sleight of hand to make us miss something that's more true and more real. And so what happens? It, in front of truth, puts a simple lie. If you are. So Jesus confronts those illusions with the truth. He says, man shall not live on bread alone. In other words, man is living by the words that God speaks. The Passion Translation says it this way, true life is found in every word which constantly goes forth from God's mouth. 
The thing that confronts the illusions are the things that God speaks to you. There's so much more that we could find in this account of Jesus, but this is the ultimate thing, that Jesus is relying on who the Father says he is, not what the enemy says he is, not any proof of these things, simply what does the Father say? And so Jesus in the desert listens. He prays. He talks. He follows the leading of the Spirit, all which empowers him as he fights the illusion. The illusion to somehow believe that he isn't who his father says he is, to somehow believe that he is not the beloved son of God, to somehow question his calling, his mission, his purpose. He listens to the words that continue to flow from the mouth of God. And if you've ever felt like it's a battle, a battle to hear what the Father says about you, a battle to spend time with Jesus, a battle to actually believe you are who Jesus says you are, no, it is a battle. Jesus went into the battle. Like, Jesus fought it. So if you just think you're going to suddenly just snap your fingers and believe who you are, who Jesus says you are, even Jesus fights back against this. Jesus fights the lies with truth. and that, So that doesn't make it easy. Jesus fights the lies with the truth of every word that comes from the mouth of God. God speaks. God will speak to help you believe you are who he says you are. He will confront the lies that say, if you really were, and so Jesus spent 40 days fasting, praying, listening. If you want to confront the illusions in your own life, the place you begin is by listening to the words that God speaks. And so I want to challenge you to do that this week, to listen to the words that God speaks. The place you can begin is read. Read the words of God. If you're having trouble figuring out what does God say about me, what does God say to me, start reading the Bible. Because what better way to read how God speaks than by reading what we know he speaks in the scriptures. Start a reading plan. Find some plan friends to read the Bible with. Memorize passages that speak directly against the lies that you're believing. If you're not reading God's word, it's going to be really hard for you to know what's true and what's an illusion. The, the Bible can help us look through the lens of those things and begin to see and answer the question, what does the scripture say about who I am? Read the Bible and ask that question as you read. What does this say about who I am? And then as you read, listen. As you read, pay attention. What jumps out? What is the Spirit of God drawing you into as you're reading the Bible? What phrases, what verses jump out at you? And then as you read, pray. Pray and listen. Pray not, Don't just tell God what you want him to hear. Ask him questions. Ask him questions about, God, who do you say I am? God, what are you proud of? God, how have I lived in light of who you really say that I am. Ask God to show you ways that you have lived as your true self. And then pay attention. Pay attention to then the ideas and thoughts that come into your mind as you are focused on Jesus. Ask yourself, does this encourage? Does this strengthen? Does this comfort me? Is this consistent with the things that I'm reading? Ask Jesus to tell you what lies you're believing. He'll show them to you. And then ask him to help confront those lies with truth because he will, he will reinforce what is true and what is right. And then the challenge is believe. To believe it. To believe you are who God says you are. As you read the word and see over and over statements and truths and promises about who Jesus says you are, believe it. As you listen to the voice of God and he brings to mind truth about how he sees you, believe it.
simply looking around us, there are so many things that are going to fight against that. But Jesus will continue to speak into it, reminding us of who he says we are. And we're going to continue this next week, not only by confronting the illusions, but really digging into that. By digging into the illusions and what lies underneath those. And then by replacing those illusions with truth, truth that confronts the lies that we believe. And so I pray for you as you dig into this, as you jump into an identity crisis of sorts to ask your question, who does Jesus say I am? Let me pray for us. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much for being a God who loves us, a God who speaks to us. And while we look all around us, and by all appearances, there are so many lies that we want to believe. The illusions confront us and convince us we're not good enough, we're not strong enough, that we don't deserve your love, that we can't be forgiven. And so, Jesus, I just pray that you would help bring to mind the lies that we're believing and that you would help fight back against those. That you would surround us with a community who, that's in this fight with us. That you would give us friends and family who want to confront the illusions in our life. And that you would help us ultimately to believe. That as we read in your words, that you would bring to mind things that show us who we are. As we pray to you and as we listen to you, that you would speak to us and remind us of how you see us. And that you would give us the faith to believe it. That even when the evidence might be stacked against us, that we would believe that we truly are who you say we are. In your name we pray.